Today we hear the good news of what happened to the disciples, what happened to Jesus after he died, and how all of that began to filter out into their awareness. Reading for the Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the gospel of our Lord. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us all in our hearing and our speaking, that we may give you glory and receive your grace. Amen. I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap all these years. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples, the ones that Jesus had called to follow him, and the list included, of course, Simon Peter and Andrew and two more brothers, James and John, their friends, Philip and Nathaniel, a.k.a. Bartholomew. Plus, there was Matthew, there was another James, there was another Simon, and two named Judas. I guess they were short on a variety of names back then. None of them were rich or famous. Uh, as far as we know, they were not schooled. If they had been to school, it was Hebrew school, along with the, all the other little Jewish boys in town. They and some unnamed women followed Jesus through the towns and the countryside for about three years. He was developing a real following of folks who kept coming to see for themselves, who is this guy they kept hearing about, who was preaching and teaching and healing and causing quite a stir. Well, with this crew, Jesus had his work cut out for him. When he tried to focus on what God was like and what that meant for how they could live together, they were a little slow to catch on. And they asked a lot of stupid questions like we do. Like, 
What's for lunch? I don't see a food truck. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people out of nothing. Or they ask, you know, uh, Jesus, who's your favorite disciple? And he'd just been talking to them about how the last would be first and the first would be last, and he just went right, right by them. But Thomas seemed different. He was more thoughtful. He was more realistic. Thomas didn't argue with Jesus like Peter did when Jesus first talked about his suffering and death to come. When Jesus announced that he would spend Passover in Jerusalem, the other disciples were freaking out. That's too dangerous. We can't go there. That's not going to work. But Thomas saw how determined Jesus was, and he said, well, if he's bound to go, then we need to be with him. We can all lie there together. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said, don't be afraid, you know where I'm going. Thomas, again, was a guy who sp- he spoke up and he said, Lord, you know that we don't know where you're going. What in the world are you talking about? And that question hung in the air until the next day when Jesus was dead. The disciples spent the weekend hiding out in a safe house. They were terrified that they might be next. Except for Thomas. He went out. Maybe it was just for a short time, and and we really don't know why he went. Maybe it was to pick up some lunch for everybody, or maybe he was looking for a local newspaper to find out what in the world's going on out there. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus came to his disciples as a group and showed himself alive. I can only imagine Thomas's reaction to the news that Jesus was no longer dead. What is wrong with you people? Are you out of your minds? People don't just come back like that, not even him. That's not possible. Jesus would have to show up right here in front of me so I could put my hands on his body and I could put my hands right in the holes where the nails and the sword went through. And you know that's not going to happen. Thomas wanted proof. He didn't expect to get it. And Jesus was okay with that. He met Thomas right where he was. He came in this time and he said, here I am, Thomas. Do whatever you need to do to satisfy yourself that it really is me. I know you don't believe it, but what if you could? How would that change the rest of your life? Scripture tells us that Thomas' reaction was immediate. It was just the opposite of before. He said, my Lord, my God. He was stunned. He was amazed. And most amazing of all, he was believing. Jesus honored his need for tangible proof of the resurrection. And Jesus did not call him doubting Thomas. He called him brother. He called him friend. Thomas, to me, is the most relatable disciple. He was a thinker. He was passionate. After Jesus died, his soul knew the same depth of grief grief as all the others. He had the same crushing disappointment in his spirit with what seemed like the end of his whole reason for living up to then. He had that same paralyzing fear of what his future might hold. 
But Thomas, even with that, was not going to fall for this wishful thinking on the other's part. He needed more than that. He needed Jesus, nothing less. And that's exactly what he got. And Jesus said, I get it. You can hardly believe it. But what if you could? What if all things really might be possible with God? How might that change your life? I know many of you probably have too, but I have witnessed many people's lives who were changed by taking seriously that Jesus is serious when he asks that question, what if? When I was in seminary, I spent one summer as a chaplain at the South Carolina State Prison for Women. And there were some bad actors there. They had people who were in for murder, for armed robbery, for meanness of all kinds, and, and largely unrepentant. But there were others who had simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time, or who were deeply sorry for what they had done, or, or certainly that they were in prison for it. And some of them were there simply because they hadn't had a good attorney. So we had these two extremes of folks, and then all the ones in between, there were a lot of women there. I remember a woman named Nell. Now, Nell had stolen money from her boss. It wasn't hard to do because she was the treasurer of the company. Her daughter needed emergency eye surgery or she was going to go blind. And her daughter didn't have insurance, she didn't have money, neither did Nell. And so she wrote a check from the company account. She knew it was wrong, but it was her daughter after all. And no one called her. She expected they were coming for her any minute, and they didn't. And her conscience got the better of her, and she turned herself in. Well, her employer was not so charitable, and he pressed charges, and she went to prison. Now, Nell was a gentle, middle-aged Christian woman. She could, she'd fit right in here. She was deeply ashamed to be in prison. She believed God could forgive her, but, and she really hoped that God would forgive her or had forgiven her. But there she felt surrounded by fear and darkness and, and just danger. There were violent people she was living with. She said... "I." Jesus, I'm afraid I won't make it here. She cried, she prayed. She said, these younger girls, they're so tough and they're so angry. And if they gang up on me, I can't defend myself. I have nothing to offer them. She was afraid really that she wouldn't make it through that time when she was away. She said though, there was a day soon after that that there was something in her spirit was trying really hard to, to get through. And she heard, you think you don't. You think you have nothing. You think you can't do this. But what if you could? And the voice, she said, seemed to come from Jesus. And he seemed to be saying, I've got you. Trust me. Well, that's a big ask if you're in prison, but... As it turned out for Nell, she became a surrogate mother and grandmother for a lot of those young women who were there in that place. She became a teacher at their school. And both the other prisoners and the guards came to 
respect and, and to protect her, which is what she felt she needed. And some even came to love her. She was a lovely woman. Nell had an amazing impact for good on these improbable people that she was with. She did survive. And eventually she got out. So often we think we dare not hope for more. Either we don't deserve it or maybe God won't notice how much we need it. We can't really imagine whatever plan God might have for what comes next for us. And surprisingly, God doesn't seem put off by that uncertainty, by our doubts. God always has options that we can't see. And God knows that we can't see it. After Hurricane Katrina, I met Hal Shope on a mission trip to the Alabama coast. Years before, he had lost everything he had to a bad tornado up in the Midwest. So he was very aware of the dangers and needs that come after those kinds of storms. So he had gone to work with Lutheran Disaster Relief to help people prepare for those kinds of storms and to recover from the ones that came. He told about when he was back in Tornado Alley about one particular community where he was going around helping people to get and to install twister pod tornado storm shelters, which is a fancy way of saying they're metal shelters that can withstand those EF5 level winds. They can put them in the backyard, they can put them wherever they want, and that somehow they would survive. The house might be gone, but that would still be there. And Hal said after a long day, he was walking down the street and he saw a young boy of about 13 years old and, and the kid was shoulder crawling like you do, you see in the movies, you know, and, the, and some of you know in, in, in the military when you're just belly crawling this way. And, and he was interested and he went over to the little boy and he said, um, what are you doing? And the boy says, I'm practicing. I'm practicing for the next tornado. He said, we don't have a storm pod but our neighbors do. And he said, my mom worries about me because my legs don't work and I want to prove to her that I'm going to be okay, that I can get over there by myself just in case she's at work and she can't get here. Well, that broke Hal's heart. He went back to his office, he pulls out the books and he's looking and this boy's courage and his safety was weighing so heavy on his mind and his heart and there was not any money left. He had spent it all. He had even given a lot of his own money to help other people to deal with their, their problems. And so he, he worried and he prayed and he worried some more and he, he told people, I just, I don't know what to do because I, I don't have it and this kid really needs it. Well, about a week later, Hal gets a check in the mail. It wasn't a local check, it was from somewhere way far away from a total stranger, unsolicited, and the amount of the check was the exact amount he needed for one more pod. Down to the penny, down to that last 16 cents. <laughs> and he just sat there and looked at it and he said, what? Wow. For all of his resources and expertise, he was so aware that he did not have the answer. He did not have the way. I can't do it, Lord. I can't see how. But God had a different answer. And God's response was, but what if you could? What if I make it happen? Can you handle that? 
So with a mix of disbelief and joy and gratitude, Hal sat down, picked up the phone, and ordered that boy a pod. God always has options that we can't see. We can hardly believe them, and even when we do see them. But that reality gives us hope. It gives us hope for the rest of our lives. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, and even for those who can't yet see or hear, miracles happen every day. And the gist of the miracle is that God is here, God is with us, that God is near and touching our real lives in this place at this time, all the time, whether we know it, whether we see it, whether we believe it or not, God is here. That is the miracle. We talk about that in our grief support group. There's really nothing like deep loss or depression or illness or dying to chase us into dark places that feel very far removed from the warmth of God's embrace and the assurance of God's unconditional love. When all you want to do is crawl back into bed and pull that blanket up and never come out again. Or when we go deeper and deeper into a cave that just seems to have no exit. It can be hard to trust that God knows and God understands exactly how we feel and does not judge us for it. But Jesus meets us precisely where we hurt the most, precisely where our need is the greatest, even where our faith is the weakest, where fear and anger and despair work like an undertow that's just threatening to pull us under and drown us. That's when Jesus shows up. And yet, even when death comes, as it did for Jesus, as it will eventually for all of us, even death does not have the final word. Jesus says, I'm here, Laurie. He says, I'm here, Steve. I'm here. You fill in the blank with your own name or someone you love. Jesus says, do whatever you need to do. Ask whatever you need to ask. Be as honest and in my face as you need to be to satisfy yourself that it really is me and I really am here. There's a book called The Gospel of Thomas. It didn't make it into our regular Bible, but it's still pretty cool. And in it, Jesus says this. He says, those who seek should not stop seeking until they find and when they find, they will be disturbed. And when they are disturbed, they will marvel. Theologian Barbara Brown Taylor says, you know, Thomas there is talking to us. He's talking to us with some kind of, that Jesus is talking to us with some kind of crazy confidence that whatever happened to Thomas could happen again. And again, and again, that God can turn doubt to faith. God can bring astonishment out of trouble and bring it to joy. Jesus said, I know you can hardly believe it, but what if you could? How might that change the rest of your life?
Amen.